Thanks, guys. Good morning, church. It is great to be with you. I want to ask uh, if you'd do me one small favour. Uh, my parents are visiting from Nashville, and my father turns 72 years old tomorrow. Would you? Happy. That was above and beyond. That'll go to my dad's head. <laughs> hey, uh, before I get into today's message, uh, I want to highlight a long-held tradition here at New Hope, and that is that we respond to disasters. And I want to let you know that we released $10,000 to Convoy of Hope for Hurricane Ian relief this week. <laughs> And then last week with Rebecca Gregory's foundation, uh, Rebecca's Angels, we sent $5,000 just to encourage her in what she does. So thank you for your generosity. May we always be a generous church. Amen? Amen. Well, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know we're in this series uh, that we've called Help. In week one, we looked at the window of tolerance In week two, we looked at the four groups of people that Jesus started the church with. Uh, People who were uh, disappointed, people who were doubters, people who were shameful, and people who were fearful. And then last week, uh, Rebecca Gregory talked about taking tragedy and finding your purpose in the midst of your trauma. Next week, uh, Pastor Mike Bro is back in the house, and so... That'll be great. But today, I want to continue our series and I want to look at a particular pattern that has emerged in my life and I wonder if it's also in your life. You see, over the 46 years that I have walked this earth, I've noticed this pattern. This pattern happens when I experience a mountaintop that's followed by a valley experience. You see, uh, discouragement often comes after success. Can you relate, thinking about the arc of your life and, and, and seeing a pattern? Here's why I've got confidence that this pattern is in your life, because it's actually in the pages of Scripture. We see this reoccurring pattern in the characters in the Bible. Take, for example, Joseph's life in the book of Genesis. It's up and down. Like He gets uh, elevated to the head of Potiphar's house and then he's immediately falsely accused of seducing Potiphar's wife and he's thrown in prison. Or what about your boy Moses? 430 years of slavery in Egypt and he frees them and Israelites don't enter the promised land. They enter 40 more years of wilderness wanderings. What about Jesus? Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and it's kind of like a a ticker tape parade. Then these very same people, five days later, end up demanding that a murderer be set free and Jesus executed in his place. So what I wanna do today is acknowledge this pattern in our lives, but highlight How does God respond to this reoccurring pattern that is in our lives? How can we further know the heart of God in how he responds to this? 
And I want to spend time in the story of Elijah, particularly this part of the story in 1 Kings 17, 18, and 19. Now, to set up this uh, area of the part of the story, uh, a little bit of historical background for us. In this period in history, the kingdom of Israel was divided and split into two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. Now, what we're going to look at today is a part of the story that happens in the northern kingdom of Israel. The capital was Samaria, and it was under the reign of King Ahab, who was married to a woman named Jezebel. Now, Jezebel was from a foreign kingdom, and she was the daughter of Ethbaal. Now, Ethbaal literally means Baal is alive. The influence of Queen Jezebel leads to the establishment of the religion of the worship of Baal. Now, the prophet Elijah uh, is mentioned and highlighted throughout Scripture. In James 5, we're told that Elijah is a man of purpose, of power, and of prayer. In Hebrews 11, it references a story that happens in 1 Kings 17. And this is where I want to pick up the story of Elijah. You see, in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, Elijah comes to a widow, a single mum, and he asks her for a meal. And she says, I just have a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. I've got enough to make one last meal for myself and my son. Well, he asks her anyway to go ahead and make him some bread She's obedient and God does a miracle in that he continues to supply more oil and more flour and Elijah experiences a miracle of unlimited bread. Then in the second half of chapter 17, this widow's single mum, her young child uh, becomes ill and he dies. And Elijah sweeps in, he takes this lifeless boy he goes upstairs and he holds this lifeless body out to God and he cries out to God that God would bring life back to this, to this boy. And in verse 22, it says that the Lord heard his cry and brought this boy back to life. This is an incredible chapter in Elijah's life. Two amazing demonstrations of the power of God, right? Well, maybe the greatest demonstration that causes Elijah to have all kinds of confidence and swagger before God is recorded in chapter 18, this well-known story where what's happening is Jezebel is on some kind of killing rampage and she's killing all of the Lord's prophets. Well, Elijah gets wind of this and he decides he's gonna go straight to King Ahab and have a meeting with him he does, and he says, you know what, let's, let's put a stop to this killing. Let's have like just a, a winner-takes-all one competition. So he says, let's go up to Mount Carmel. You bring your 450 prophets of Baal, and I'll just be me representing the prophets of the Lord. You can ask me to play a radio station. That's never happened before. Apparently, I said, hey, Siri. <laughs> All right, let's pray and we'll be done. <laughs> um, all right, where are we? Mount Carmel, 450 prophets. All right, come back with me. So Elijah says, 
feels real funny not having a watch on. Um, <laughs> let's build two altars. Winner takes all. Your prophets call Baal to bring fire on your altar. And when you're done, I'll do the same thing to the one true God. Well, if you know the story, the 450 prophets, they pray and nothing happens. And then Elijah goes next and God responds by sending a fireball from heaven and it lands on this altar and it becomes an inferno. Thousands of people are looking on as well as the 450 prophets and they all declare together, they start shouting, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And then Elijah kills the 450 false prophets. <laughs> a little harsh, right? But he did say, winner takes all. Uh, let's do one competition. And so that's what happens. So this is the prophet Elijah, a man of great purpose, of great promise, power, and prayer. He is a man of influence, a man of God. You know what's also true about Elijah? is he's either up or he's down. There is no in-between. He suffers bouts of deep depression and of discouragement. And this is where I wanna pick up the story, knowing the backdrop of chapter 17 and chapter 18, I wanna launch into chapter 19. And so if you're able to, would you please stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word this morning? First Kings 19, verse one. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Bathsheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he laid down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. That was some impressive food right there. <laughs> there he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. 
After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. After chapter 17 and chapter 18, we now find Elijah discouraged, depressed and depleted. He's physically and emotionally tired, but he's also mentally spent. He's hit rock bottom. So much so that he cries out to God, I've lost my will to live. Would you take my life? I would rather die than to continue on. He had hit rock bottom. You know, at this point in my study and preparation this week, I really prayed about this moment. See, I wanna just take a side note here and I wanna speak to a specific group of people. I wanna speak to a group of people that today, you may say that's me. I have hit rock bottom. In fact, I think I've probably lost the will to live and I'm struggling with suicidal thoughts. Then I wanna say to you, please don't do it. Don't do it. There is a better way in Jesus. He has a better way. Now today, you may not feel that, perhaps, you feel something completely different, that there is no reason for you to continue to live, but that is not true. Your feelings are not true. What is true is that God says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He has a plan for your life and He longs to show up, to show you a different way, a better way. Just in times when we sense there is no way forward, our great God has a way of making a way where there is no way. This is our God. So I wanna encourage you, if that's you and you'd say, today I'm struggling with suicidal thoughts, I wanna just give you five things to be aware of right now. The first thing I wanna encourage you with is to get some rest. You see, our minds don't often operate clearly without sleep and good rest. When is the last time you had a good night's sleep? The second thing I wanna encourage you with is to extend yourself grace. Do not listen to the darkness and its seductive, hope-depleting, half-truth lies. It is not true. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Three, be aware of your diet and exercise. You see, good food and good movement directly impact our thought lives. Fourth, find yourself in hope-filled environments. You see, where you can be around positive people and you can borrow from their faith for a little while. Here on Sunday mornings is one of those places, a positive environment for you to be in and to be encouraged. If you're a teenager, let me encourage you to come on Wednesday nights. If you're a young person, let me encourage you to come on Tuesday nights. But find yourself 
in hope-filled environments. And lastly, seek professional faith-based help. Now this morning as you leave in our guest service tent on the patio, we have a list of suggested professional help that are faith-based that can help you in your journey. And if you're online, just go in the chat right now and we'll put the link to you. But we want you to know that you are loved today. And so at this point, church, I'm gonna ask if we would just show an outward expression of our love and encouragement to anyone struggling with suicide today. Can we just give a... Thank you, church. So Elijah, after incredible demonstrations of God's power in chapter 17 and chapter 18, has one person threaten his life and he runs. Yeah, I, I think there is an impulse that's probably within all of us that we can relate with, that when we are faced with insurmountable challenges, our first impulse is, is to avoid them is to kind of run for them. Maybe you're in some kind of financial situation right now and you just can't see a way out. Perhaps some complexities in work or you're in between employment or some relational dynamic. And, and your first impulse is like, how can I not think about it? How can I just avoid it for a little while? This is what Elijah is doing. Scholars say he traveled about 100 miles to get away from Queen Jezebel's threat on his life. Remember, the backdrop is these amazing demonstrations in chapter 17 and chapter 18. And Elijah runs. And I want to look at how God responds to his prophet who runs in the midst of a challenge in his life. I want to look at what may surprise us is the tender heart of God in response to our discouragement. The tender care of our loving Father towards us when we feel like we're in rock bottom and we're totally overcome with discouragement. See, this is Elijah's greatest time of personal struggle. This is Elijah's rock bottom. And I don't know about you, but as you read through chapter 17 and chapter 18, and then Elijah responds this way, maybe God would be uh, you know, forgiven for uh, kind of bringing out a, a God-based form of kicking his backside, right? <laughs> Telling him, hey, I'm gonna leave you a little bit of attitude adjustment because I'm the same God who mightily worked through you in the last two chapters and now you get a little bit of opposition and you're giving up. I think the insight here for us is often when we go into a time of discouragement and, and, and depression, we think that the God that will come to us is a God who will come to condemn us. That is not the God that we see that we're about to unpack right now. You see, the God who comes with a tender heart in the way he responds to Elijah's discouragement is that he is first, in Elijah's discouragement, God provides rest and nourishment. 
If you are discouraged today, God first wants to come and provide for you physically, to provide rest and nourishment. You see, God is in the details. In the text, it says that there is a solitary broom tree or a juniper tree. In in Palestine, the juniper tree would grow to 10 to about 12 feet. It had uh, blossoming with white buds, but it was known to have a very dense canopy, i.e. perfect for shelter. And the text tells us that God is so in the details that he provides one of these for Elijah. Because he knew that Elijah needed to tend to his physical well-being. He needed to provide rest for him. In your discouragement, God is in your details. He is providing a broom tree just for you to shelter you from the harshness of the sun, the harshness of the challenge that you are walking through. God sends an angel to provide nourishment in food and water and then sends him back to sleep again and then wakes him up and says, you need more nourishment for the journey ahead is so long. God sees to Elijah's physical needs so he can recuperate. You know, something about rest and prioritising rest in our success-driven culture that often when we do rest, sometimes we feel guilty or feel unproductive that we should get up and be doing something. That is not actually biblical. You see, in the order of creation, we were meant to work from rest, not work to rest. See, some of you today need to prioritise and move around your schedule that'll allow you to sleep in on a Saturday. Or on a Sunday afternoon, take a nap. All of God's people said. (laughs) In fact, some of you, when I got up to speak, started your nap. (laughs) We talk so much in church about our physical, uh, sorry, our spiritual well-being, but God has made us with a body to care for as well, to be responsible for the temple of the Holy Spirit. See, the first thing that God does is he visits Elijah in his discouragement and he tends to his physical needs. Some of you need to pay attention to your physical needs in rest and nourishment. Next, in Elijah's discouragement, God provides an angel. See, God sends angels to be an instrument of his tender care for Elijah. If you have eyes to see, let me say that again, If you have eyes to see, your loving God is in the business of deploying angels of encouragement in your life. They may look a lot like your life group members or family or friends who are responding to a prompting, a nudge from the Holy Spirit in a just timely manner of sending you a text message, calling you on the phone, dropping flowers off at your doorstep. I remember last year when Aunt Rona visited me and a friend named Derek dropped off some Chick-fil-A chicken soup on my doorstep. Who knows, when you have COVID, Chick-fil-A chicken soup is the bomb. And it was a moment where God had nudged a friend of mine. 
He had just given him a, a prompting for him to send an encouragement my way. He dropped it off and he disappeared. And if we have eyes to see, let me kind of normalise how God does his promptings and his nudging. He uses us to bring encouragement to one another. In Elijah's discouragement, he deploys an angel to be an instrument of his tender care for him. He's not condemning him. He's caring for him. If you'll have eyes to see, you'll receive the dispatching angel army that God is putting into your life in timely moments. Third, Elijah's discouragement, God provides his presence. God invites the discouraged into his presence. If you are discouraged today, God is tenderly inviting you into a greater awareness of the power of his presence. Here's a really interesting insight in this text. It's God's personal relationship with Elijah. You see, he has... God ever demonstrated his presence in an earthquake? Yeah, on the day Jesus was crucified, there was an earthquake. In Acts 16, there was an earthquake that busted open prison doors. God has revealed his power and his presence in an earthquake. Has God ever demonstrated his presence in wind? Yeah, in Acts 2, He sent the Holy Spirit. There was a great rushing wind that hit the upper room. Has God ever demonstrated his presence in fire? Ever heard of Moses and the burning bush? Or a couple of days earlier, Elijah on Mount Carmel. God literally splits open the sky and sends a fireball down. So why did God not come in an earthquake? the wind or the fire? Because Elijah had already experienced the demonstration of God's power. Remember, chapter 17 and chapter 18 were demonstrations of God's power. See, Elijah didn't need a demonstration of his power. What he needed was the presence of God. He didn't need more signs and wonders. He had had them. He needed a whisper. He didn't need the wonders of God. He needed the whisper of God. In Hebrew, the saying, a gentle whisper, is translated, a voice of thin silence. I don't know what that means, but it's kind of cool. (laughs) A voice of thin silence. Maybe in your discouragement today, God would visit you in a voice of thin silence. Maybe the encouragement of being invited into the presence of God is that you too need a whisper. Now, what do we need to hear a whisper? We need to be close. You know, one of the themes that we see repeated over and over again in Scripture is God reminding His people just how close He is, even though we don't realise it. And this is the same when God invites us into his presence, 
Sometimes it's a demonstration of his power, but a lot of the times he's inviting us to be aware of how close he is so we can hear the whisper of God encouraging our lives. And this is what happens when he visits Elijah in his discouragement. He comes with a still, soft voice, a gentle whisper, the whisper that comes from God to a man who is deeply discouraged. In Acts 3.19, it tells us that refreshing comes in the presence of God. Are some of you today tired? Are some of you today needing God to come and give you a touch that would be refreshing to your life? then know that he's inviting you into a greater awareness of his presence. He invites you into his presence. And lastly, in Elijah's discouragement, God provides vision. God turns the discouraged towards the future. Repeated in both verse nine and 13, he says, the word of the Lord comes, says, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Who knows that in Scripture, whenever God asks a question, it's not for him to receive information. Whenever God asks a question in Scripture, it's to give information. Now listen to this question again through that lens. What are you doing here, Elijah? Listen to him. He's not coming to condemn him when he asks him that. He's coming to speak encouragement to him. He's coming to remind him who he is in God. He's calling on his life. He has fled and ran. He's hiding in a cave at this point. And God says, what are you doing here, bro? I've called you to greater things than these. Remember chapter 17 and chapter 18? Let's get that guy back because I believe in you. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? See, I think we have a posture too often towards God that is one that we expect Him to be condemning us. And so when he says, what are you doing here? We, we feel the condemnation of God that we're failing. That's not what's happening here. That's not what this text is revealing about the heart, the tender heart of God towards us. What are you doing here? Come on, it's time to turn towards the future. You've been depressed and discouraged about your past. It's time to look to the future. This is the word of the Lord. You see, in, in Acts chapter two, when the church is birthed, it's de declared that there'll be two groups of people. One, one group of people, young people will see visions. And the second group of people, old people will see dreams. Visionaries and dreamers are gonna be part of the church. This declaration at the beginning of Acts chapter two, the beginning of the church, we should be expectant that God is coming and giving us fresh vision and fresh dreams. What are you doing here? Here is a fresh vision for the future. Here is a fresh dream for the future. Listen to this, New Hope. In this season of our church, we should expect that God is visiting us with fresh vision and fresh dreams for our future, that He would use you and He'd use me and He'd use us for His fame and declaration in this place. 
God is not finished with new hope. Come on. We're a faith community that's not about the past. It's about the future because Jesus is not dead. He's risen from the dead. He is alive. And we should be expecting dreams and visions. Our young people, fresh visions. Our old people, fresh dreams. This is our God. Our posture to receive the tender heart of God who comes to visit us in the midst of our discouragement. It's a God whose fundamental demeanour towards you is love. His fundamental demeanour towards you is tender care in the midst of your depression and your discouragement. He comes to give you rest and nourishment. If you'll have eyes to see, He's deploying angels of encouragement. He's, he's the God who invites you into His presence. And He's the God who is directing you to your future. That's what we see God revealing in this text. Not a God who condemns. Oh, how He loves us. Oh, how He loves us. I'm gonna do a bit of a, an object lesson right now. I'm gonna invite you to get your communion elements. If uh, you didn't get them when you came in and you'd like them, just slip up your hand and our ushers will get them to you. If you're visiting and you would rather not partake in communion, that's completely okay with us. But once you have your elements and you're able to, can I invite you to stand to your feet? What we hold in our hands is the reminder of the tender love of God, that His fundamental demeanour towards us is love because whilst we were far from Him, while we were still sinners, He sent Christ to die for us. In our discouragement, in our lost way, that was when He sent Jesus on a mission here to earth to redeem us. This is our reminder of, oh, how He loves us. So if you remove the bottom to expose the bread. The night before Jesus was executed, He took bread, He broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. Let us eat and remember. If you tear off the top, revealing the juice. In the same way, he took the cup. This is the new covenant between God and his people. The agreement established by the blood of Jesus. He said, when you drink this, remember me. Let us drink and remember. At this point, I wanna ask our 
prayer team and our section leaders, if you would go ahead and come forward into place, the front, the worship center. And I'm gonna invite you, if you would close your eyes and bow your head. I just had a time of being in this worship center by myself last night and I prayed for this moment and I prayed for you. And I wanna invite you into just a personal moment with God because some of you are in a deep season of discouragement right now and I wanna ask to petition heaven that God would come in His power and visit you in this moment. And so I wonder if you would um, just acknowledge this and while no one's looking around, if you would say, yeah, that's me, I'm in a, a deep season of discouragement. If you would just raise your hand and I'll see it, yeah, yeah. Wow, lots of hands, yeah. Thank you, thank you, you can, you can put them down, thank you. I also wonder if you've been sitting in this message and there's been a particular person close to you that's just been heavy on your heart. You're like, they, they need to hear this talk. And maybe in this moment, you would choose to stand in the gap for them and I'll say a prayer. And so would you just raise your hand and say, yeah, I've got a loved one that I, I wanna just cover in prayer. Wow, thank you, yeah, yeah. So Father God, you have seen these hands and just like with Elijah, you're in our details. So you're intimately aware of what people are walking through in the seasons. And God, I pray for those who are discouraged to feel just the weight of a weary soul. I ask God that you would bring rest and nourishment for them. God, would you deploy angels to come around with uh, encouragement at just the right time? May these people find the power of your presence to be that still, soft voice, that gentle whisper speaking life into them. And Father, may you bring a fresh vision, a fresh dream, point them to the future, God. Father, I pray for every person that has a heavy heart for a loved one. God, I pray as they chose to lift their hands to stand in the gap for them that, God, you would move on their behalf and touch this person. Even as we pray, even as we gather right now, God, would you be moving in their lives, doing what you do, God, deploying the power of encouragement by a visitation of the Holy Spirit, we pray. God, would you bring fresh visions and fresh dreams for your kingdom to be established through our lives, God, and in our lives. And we ask this prayer with boldness in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everyone agreed, said, amen. amen. And we thank our great God.